We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Author's Corner segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program Terry Wager and Christine McGinley, authors of Quit Taking Your Own Bad Advice. Well, I mean, that's the problem that a lot of times we do. So, guys, thanks for stopping by. And, you know, it's so true, Terry. If we take our own advice, a lot of times we're not going to grow, we're not going to learn, and we're going to struggle all the time. Right. Um, yeah. My growing up, my dad used to actually have all these different projects and I'd be called out to the garage to help him out, do these things. And I just thought he was a God and knew everything and just take care of all of these different projects. And I never saw him like ask anybody or talk to anybody. So I grew up thinking that we weren't supposed to ask for advice. We're just supposed to know this stuff. And as I grew up and started going to school and doing these things, I was afraid to ask for help. I was afraid to do all of these things and I couldn't figure things out. And I just thought I was stupid. And I had no idea that he had this group of time life books that had all the plans for everything he did. And he just hit them and right in plain sight on the bookshelf, but I had no idea. And so the, the funny thing is, is as I moved through my career uh, as a psychologist, I started seeing that a lot of people have this tendency to not want to admit they don't know something and want to try to do it themselves and they don't ask for help. That's so true. And we just want to do it ourselves and we'll do it. And, and then ultimately, I think at the end of the day, Christine, it's more not just we just want to do it ourselves. We want to be right. And if we're not right, then we feel like we're weak and we can't grow. That's, that's absolutely it. I think society teaches us that we need to be independent and free thinkers and it's all up to us to move ourselves forward. And that if we ask for help and accept help and know that we don't have all the answers and the right answers, like you mentioned, then we're weak. That, that, it's, that it's a sign of weakness that we can't protect ourselves and take care of ourselves moving forward. All right. So let's kind of just jump into Terry. Why did you write the book? Well, I really wrote the book because I saw more and more people uh, that I work with have that stumbling block and they procrastinate and they get distracted and they, they just aren't moving forward with what they want. And they, they live in this settling for mentality um, and they talk about and train mindset, mindset, mindset and never go anywhere. It's spinning their wheels. And so I wrote the book to really help people understand that it's not mindset. And it's not that you're not able to learn. It's that you're listening to yourself instead of getting the help you need. And it starts with really identifying those emotions that you were just talking about that, that create that fear of weakness and that embarrassment over asking for help. And we really have to identify those emotions before we can start moving forward. It's really the question I think part of it is, is what's driving your thinking and your mindset? That To me, that's, or not to me, to us, that is more of a conscious thing. So there's something unconscious that's really driving that. And it is what, what it is. It's the emotions. So Terry, how, what do you guys do in the book to kind of help people without giving away the book, but giving some good pointers to why we should buy the book? Well, right in the first chapter, I talk about the lie machine. And the lie machine is basically uh, starts our shoulders and goes up. It's our head. Um, <laughs> just to, you know, yeah. let a little secret go. Um, we, we, we sit there and, and come up with all of these possibilities of what might happen. And they happen so fast. And as we listen to those, we don't move forward. 
And so in order to get that noise to quiet down and in order to start moving forward, we really want to uh, identify the emotions that start that lie machine going because it's really the fears, it's the emotions, it's all of those things of what ifs. I call them the dreaded what ifs. And as we have those dreaded what ifs pop up, um, we start thinking about trying to cross bridges before we get to them. We think about trying to have conversations without the other person involved. And we do all of these things and we don't go anywhere. We think we did. I had a supervisor one time that talked about his dad would go on vacations just by talking about it. And then he'd spoil it every time he went on the vacation. And I think that we do that in life. We do that in business. We do that in life. We do that in relationships. Most of our problems all come back to the fact that we had the discussion or the conversation or the argument in our head before it ever happened. So true. And, and I think, Christine, when we have that conversation, we make mistakes, right? So what should we do in that situation if we're already figuring out scenarios and telling ourselves it's going to not work out or it's going to work out before kind of making those, those really difficult decisions it really does come back to the making decisions and what's causing us to hesitate. And it, we call it the filters. It's identifying which filter are you pushing it through. Is it just a logical filter or is it an emotional filter that's lying just right below the surface? That's all that we need to do. We don't need to dig deep, dig deep, dig deep like they do in some things. And it's just that, that a little bit of more awareness and that's what we really cover in the book is just giving a sneak peek of how to what other filtration system is out there besides our logical filtration system. And if we do that and we're willing to make a little bit of a mistake with the guidance of someone that's been there before, we're going to have more successes. If we think back to the successes that we've had, there's probably been somebody there to guide us down that track. Exactly. And so the you need a coach. Terry, I guess at the end of the day, you need to have a coach. You need to have mentors. You need to have different pe people. I've talked to some, you know, really, really uh, famous people that, uh, you know, they talk about the mentorship. They talk about specifically enough, you know, from shark members of the shark tank to other people that yeah. say, you know, what bottom line is I had mentors. I had people that helped me through this. It wasn't, I just went ahead. So that's why it's so important to have somebody that's had more success than you, knows the groundwork to help you lead you to where you want to be, right? Yeah, yeah. It, the, one of the things that I think about is like a house with the lights off. You can't see, you can't walk through it until you turn the lights on. The coach is like the person turning the lights on for you and helping you to understand which place to go and, and which chair to walk around, uh, something to that effect. And, and the more that we have those people who have been there before walking through and step-by-step step moving forward, the faster we go and the more we can start to understand how to do it ourselves. But if we don't have that teacher, we don't have that coach, or we don't have that joint venture partner. We use a lot of joint venture partners. If we don't have that partner that's really good at something that we're not good at, we're going to take a long time to do it. Exactly. And we take that long time. We do what we need to do and forget it because you've been through the walk, right? Christine, you won't, you've gone through the walk in business before coaching, right? That's the important thing to bring up out of there. You've gone mm -hmm. there, been there, done that, made the mistakes. Now hiring somebody else, you don't make those mistakes that could cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars or thousands of dollars or a chance to really grow. By that's, that's absolutely it. And I mean, we, we talk about you can grow your, you can grow your life in two different ways. You can choose a lifestyle and have all the time and freedom you want and make more money and delegate it all out. 
or you can really bring in the, the corporate aspect and manage people. I mean, I, I like to manage people. I mean, I don't love to manage people. Let me get that straight. Um, but managing <laughs> people and bringing the strengths out of people, I think is really important. And that's in building your team and trusting them. And I think we cover that a lot in the book too, is how to trust and vet the people that you do surround yourself with to create that better life for yourself and for others. Um, it's really a movement that we're looking to create. And we talk about how people can join that movement in the book and make oh. decisions faster to build their businesses and not make the costly mistakes by having a team surrounding you with their brilliance. No, and lastly, Terry, listening to what you guys are talking about, you know, what type of businesses would benefit from this book? Because I'm hearing Christine talk about a lot of management. There's so many different businesses out there. People start, they might subcontract a few people, or they might just be doing everything themselves. So Terry, who are the people that really you see would really benefit from this book? Right. Small corporations that are looking to uh, really build the revenue, build their teams out, have some kind of uh, issue where they've plateaued and they're not exactly sure how to move forward. And so really what we see is um, a lot of times people in these corporations end up uh, focused on the wrong things. And so when we come in and start helping them, they can move forward. So to answer your question, really, the, the kind of corporations are, are uh, people that want to really break that million dollar mark that are smaller corporations or the people who have made the seven figure mark in their corporations. They're doing really well, but they can't seem to move forward from that. And so really the just building. See, and that's important because again, a lot, you look a lot of uh, startups or smaller organizations that you call, you know, that are corporations that really just don't know how to run their team. They might have had the funding from somebody, but yet when it comes to management, it comes to sales, it comes to operations, they just don't get it. And they really right. don't have a plan. And right. And somebody like you guys, because they fall flat on their face. They spend money. They don't reach their KPIs. They don't reach their goals and sales and the company never grows. Right, Christine? Yeah, the, the sales is a big component of it. And I mean, imagine having your team clone to the way that you think and um, are able to function and using the filters that we talk about in the book is in an empowering position to put your whole team in. Um, the more empowered they are and they're feeling fulfilled, the more your business is going to fulfill, be fulfilled, yourself is going to be fulfilled, and the, everybody around you, your joint venture partners, your family, your cats, your dogs, your kids. <laughs> All right, so where's the best place we can find information on you guys and purchase your book? Where can we go? You can go to generatorcoaching.com. That's our website. And generatorcoaching.com, this is really hard, generatorcoaching.com slash books. Okay. Well, it's not too difficult, and it's a, great, <laughs> it's a great name. And again, you guys are defining yourselves in a different business coaching sense. You're really looking at corporations, and I'm telling you, from my experiences, I see that is such a need because there's many companies that get the funding, yet they don't know how to run it. And then they right. fail, or they just never grow. So that's why they need to call someone like you guys. So thanks again for stopping yeah. by. Thank you very much for having us. All right, take care. All right, you're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of The Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. 
The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensec's enterprise-level video management software, Perspective VMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit Lensec.com. And now back to the show. to the Neil Haley Show on the Author's Corner segment. And this is just a very intriguing guest because I, um, the title of her book, we can go in different directions, but we know that she specializes in a specific business. So I'm excited to welcome the program Elise Latcher, author Elise Latcher, and she's the author of How to Do Surgery on Your Business. And uh, I appreciate you coming by, Elise. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great this morning, Neil. It's a gorgeous day in Florida. Oh, well, I, again, it's still gorgeous in Pittsburgh, but in a couple of weeks we'll be complaining about it being cold. So I'll, I'll take it for sure. And you guys have an interesting environment you're dealing with in Florida. And <laughs> I understand because I have friends in Florida, clients in Florida, all that. I would love to be in Florida in a couple months. Uh, so hopefully we will be traveling. I was saying to one of my clients who wants to have a winter conference and they're going to cancel it in December. Uh, well, let's do it. We don't need to do it virtually. We can do it in January in Florida. That's our hope, right? So that's the <laughs> get together because hope, yeah, go ahead. We're gonna say well, hopefully in 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 January things will be whatever back to the new normal is going to look like. But we're still pretty much locked down down here. It depends on where in Florida, exactly. All right, so let's right. just jump into specifically enough the title the title of the book because the title of the book's a little different in the fact that you might think, okay, what kind of surgery? Is this a metaphor or is this really something that makes you different? And it makes you different for sure. Well, you know, veterinarians, which is the, the niche market that I work in, they're all about fixing animals. That's why they became veterinarians and put themselves through the grueling task of learning all the stuff that they needed to know. But unfortunately, many of them become business owners. They purchase a practice thinking that it's somehow or another, they're going to be infused magically with all of the knowledge that they have to have in terms of running a business. And unfortunately, we don't gather that knowledge through osmosis. So what I do is I work with my veterinarians to teach them how to be business owners. And I know for many people, well, for those of us in my age, we used to learn some of that by having lemonade stands and things of that sort when we were children. But uh, today's not so much. And so speaking veterinarianese, because uh, they, just like you, your eyes glaze over when, you st when they start talking medical to you, their eyes glaze over when I start talking debits and credits and cash and accrual and some of that kind of thing. So what we do when we work with our clients 
is we teach them how to be business owners. And by that, I mean 21st century business owners, where they learn how to share the leadership that goes on in the practice, where they teach their staff members or team members how to make good decisions. And I'm talking business decisions. I'm not asking their kennel people to teach them how to do surgery or medical things. That's always the purview of the veterinarian. But teaching them how to be good team members and to communicate like adults. For many business owners today, they talk about their businesses as being family, but the way that gets translated a lot, especially in small businesses, is they treat their employees like children. And unfortunately, these employees sometimes respond either as good children or naughty children, but either way, the owners tend to complain because as good children, they're always being asked for permission to do something. And as naughty children, which frequently means they don't make decisions exactly the way the owner makes them, they get they speak badly of their employees either way. So what I try to do is to teach the owners how to raise good children into being responsible and accountable adults. See, and that's so... And- yeah, I agree with you. And so that's a part of operations that I believe is not just happening in the veterinary world. It's happening <laughs> in all the business world. It's amazing to look at how specific some clients treat me. Uh, and and, my, and with my as my PR firm marketing and digital marketing and how I'm treated like uh, like uh, not a human being at times. Only a few. But we, we run into those. But when it's your employees that are the ones that are going to be the ones that work with the customers on a regular basis, you're going to be involved. But again, you're, you have somebody who's an assistant. You have somebody that's going to be right inside the room. All these different places to your receptionist. Everyone needs to be treated with respect and dignity and understand that their job val- is valued. I've learned in the process of dealing with people on a regular basis that everyone has to have some sort of sense that you have to treat everyone with dignity, believe they're important, or they shouldn't be part of your organization. Oh, you are so right, Neil. It is just interesting when we start treating our people as adults and value the input and knowledge and experience that they bring to our businesses. It's just interesting when sometimes you find that your receptionist can make a better decision in dealing with difficult clients than you can as the owner. Gary Hamill just wrote a book called Humanocracy, and he talks about companies worldwide that are starting to follow these kinds of thought patterns. And it's just interesting. And what I find interesting is that when you treat your people with respect, your business tends to be more profitable. Well, I agree in so many ways. I'm in this new phase of my business and I've been sharing it on all these interviews and that's why I guess people enjoy being interviewed by me because I'm real. I'm not going to, you know, lie about what's my current situation when it comes with specific things and I'm learning firsthand what how important a team is, how they need to be valued and and all that process and I have dealing with everyone online all over the world. But when you have them firsthand in your in your building, you can't have people come to work where they feel not valued. I mean, it's probably the one worst things in the world. And for people watching or listening to me and say that I don't treat you with value and dignity, please let me know. 
because again, we're going to have these situations in life where we do make mistakes, but we really believe without you, we cannot do what we do. And it's so important when employees are valued, when they're treated with respect, what happens, Elise? Oh, that is so amazing. You'd start getting people who think about what's going on in their job. And many times they can come up with ideas that you never would have thought of as the owner because you're not in the trenches doing it. There are stories after stories of people who have been treated with respect and given the opportunity to think, and they've come up with ideas that have saved companies millions of dollars. We're all creative when given the opportunity to think about how to do our jobs better and to make a contribution to the overall well-being of this planet. I, I don't know of anybody who really gets up in the morning and says, I want to make things worse for the world, my boss, and my people. It came back with how many people are, are unsatisfied with their work environment and their jobs. I forget when I've heard that or listened to that. But oh, Gallup. It's, it's, it's so Gallup organization every year tests that out. Yeah, and it's very frustrating to look at that, and you're learning. I'm learning more and more from that. And see, this is one of the areas that I know I'm weak at when it comes to I want to do everything myself. But now I'm allowing certain people responsibility and saying, okay, first of all, best thing to do is hire an office manager and let them manage. <laughs> understand specifically enough, okay, you handle those things. Let me handle the other things, which is hard. And it's hard to give up, but that's the only way you're going to grow. But when you're talking about, like you said, a, a business like veterinarian's business where, you know, it's all about customer satisfaction. It's all about how they feel. People need to pick up this book to understand that because a lot of times the person who's the veterinarian really doesn't have the people skills necessary to manage a team. And so through your book, right. Consulting, that's why hire you, for sure, Elise. So where can we find more information on you and learn more about you? Again, you're the first ever business coach I've ever met that's a veterinarian coach So for businesses. So <laughs> I definitely become the uh, superstar that could be on many different interesting talk shows. Uh, so definitely where can we find info on you? On my website, of course, Strategic Veterinary consulting.com or pick up the phone and call me at 727-420-0016. Awesome. That's 727-420-0016. All right. Well, I appreciate it, least for you coming by and uh, definitely uh, best of luck with the book and best of luck with your with helping other veterinarians have successful businesses. But I think we really had a conversation that many people that are not in the veterinarian world need to think about. How are we treating our employees? How are we treating our people that work day to day? And I appreciate you stopping by. Thank you. Uh, and you're right. This works with any business. Take care. Right, Thanks, take care. Neil. You're welcome. Bye-bye. You're uh, listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show here on the Author's Corner segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program Dr. Karima Harani, author of Your Doctor Did Not Tell You. How are you, Dr. Karima? How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor. Absolutely. Let's kind of go really to your background a little bit. And we'll get into the, the title. Tell us your background. 
Okay, I'm a board certified family physician with a master's degree in nutrition, and I have a complementary alternative integrative medicine practice, and I have been doing this for over 20 years, and uh, I've had a lot of success treating pain, uh, which led me to write this book, Your Doctor Didn't Tell You, How Complementary Alternative Medicine Can Help Your Pain. And see, that's interesting you bring all that up, because again, let's talk about specifically enough pain, how we get rid of pain if you're not using alternative medicine. It's going to be, it's going to be some sort of pharmaceutical right off the bat without looking at a lot of the other causes. Is that correct? Exactly. And sadly, uh, I, you know, I recently attended a pain management conference. And one of the things, you know, the physicians there said is the outcomes of treating chronic pain are dismal. So sadly, um, the, you know, pharmaceuticals um, haven't really panned out to be of great benefit for, um, for managing pain. Definitely. And it's because we're not going to go into the politics of reasons maybe or reasons that of that financially but ultimately at the end of the day it's easier to give someone a pill and not tell them to follow certain regimens than going into looking at everything right exactly neil um sadly others uh others profit from uh patients being in pain so it it it's there's no there's no profit in patients getting out of pain and so a lot of wonderful therapies that have been around for you know maybe even a hundred years um, will never get known to patients even though these these treatments have scientifically been proven to be safe and effective uh, simply because there's no money in it for big pharma or the medical establishment what made you uh, want to be on this mission because you could have just been like everyone else. Um, I've always just been very curious and I've always just uh, always known that when somebody tells me that this is the only way to treat something, um, I, you know, I don't always listen to that. I listen to, you know, something else that, you know, there's got to be something else out there for these chronic, you know, chronically suffering uh, patients. And lo and behold, I, you know, was able to discover some wonderful treatments, um, three of which I call my golden triad. Define for me uh, some of these chronic pains you're talking about, or chronic conditions. The, the, uh, some of the most common chronic conditions that I talk about in my book are headaches, the granddaddy of them all. Um, millions of uh, people suffer from headaches and low back pain. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people don't realize that uh, uh, pelvic pain, male and female, is a very common chronic problem. Um, of course, joint pain, osteoarthritis is another, you know, big, um, you know, segment of the pain population. And another big segment is chronic post-operative pain. So a lot of patients go in, you know, and have surgeries that they weren't expecting to have you know, chronic pain from, for example, like a prostatectomy or a mastectomy for breast cancer, and they end up with chronic pain. So these are some of the, um, the chronic pain segments that I talk about in my book, including neuropathic pain, for example, um, fibromyalgia or um, sickle cell uh, crisis. You know, these, these are uh, types of chronic pains that I talk about. And through pain leads to not be able to perform your job as well. 
not be able to perform your duties or being a parent or absolutely the cost of yeah yes the cost of chronic pain is uh in the billions like 600 billion dollars because uh lost wages uh, poor quality of life and then not to mention depression and stress and anxiety and insomnia and all of these are treatable you know patients really don't have to um, suffer like this they don't have to suffer so what are some tips right now that can help alleviate chronic pain well um a lot of patients don't know this but just diet and exercise alone can bring about 20 to 25 percent improvement in in your chronic pain um diet um, uh, an anti-inflammatory diet or an elimination diet um, can can help patients with pain all the time and this is what I see in my practice in fact the diet part is the major crux of my of my treatment regimen for my patients uh, there are some supplements that have been studied uh, for example B12 um, is um, on the US guidelines for prevention of migraine headaches so vitamin B12 magnesium, vitamin D, uh, fish oils. So these are some easy, simple things that patients can be doing to help them with their pain. But sadly, um, their doctor didn't tell them about this. And the research is out there. The golden triad that I was telling you about is, is sort of the mainstay of my, of my you know, treatments. And one of them, uh, pulsed electromagnetic frequency, uh, two versions of it are FDA approved. And um, there's more than like 10,000 publications on it. So safety and efficacy is well established. And it's just a, an electrical coil with a magnetic frequency uh, pulsating that we put you know, on the area of pain. And it can, it can bring about significant improvement in pain. So it's very safe, non-pharmacological, non-invasive. Um, and sadly, doctors don't know about it. And so patients don't know about it. But it's one of the first things that I prescribe. And the second thing I prescribe is, if need be, is neural trigger point therapy. And uh, JFK's White House staff physician actually went to Germany to learn this treatment. And she brought back just um, uh, one aspect of it, and she called it uh, trigger point therapy. And so what she missed out on is the full breadth of uh, neural therapy. And so I call it neural trigger point therapy. And what it is is just the use of Novocaine, which is a, uh, a dental anesthetic, to um, just make these tiny little blebs under the skin um, to just kind of reset the nerves and, uh, and help get rid of pain. And things like scars or tattoos or even tonsils uh, can be huge interference fields. In fact, I had a patient that came in to, you know, I, this is a typical scenario. Um, she had had two plastic surgeries and she was left with chronic pain in her neck. Um, she didn't have a life because she was dependent on um, pain meds. And I just did these simple, tiny little injections under the, under the scar and immediately her pain was gone. She never needed um, to return again for these treatments. Uh, she was no longer, you know, on pain meds and she was, uh, she got her life back. And finally, the third part of the triad is ozone therapy. Huh. Ozone also discovered in Germany um, over 100 years ago. It's a, a simple gas made up of three oxygen atoms. So again, very safe because nobody's allergic to um, oxygen. And um, ozone's main uh, mechanism of action is to just 
shut off the pain receptors when injected directly. Oh, wow. And another mechanism of action is just uh, helping your own cells produce your own antioxidants. So that reduces inflammation. So these are my, you know, my golden triad, but the diet is always important and exercise, of course. And when these three fail, I, um, I will employ uh, plasma-rich platelet therapy or PRP, which comes from your own blood. And, um, and stem cells, which come from the umbilical cord tissue of newborn babies. So um, all of these treatments, there's quite a bit of research that's been done on them. Um, and, that's, and that's why I find it very fascinating and, um, and exciting to use in my practice because I get great results. Exactly, so where can people find information on you so they too can alleviate their chronic pain and do it in an alternative way than pharmaceutical drugs and certain things, surgeries, wherever it's the best place they can go. Exactly. DrHirani.com, D-R-H-I-R-A-N-I.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for stopping by. And such great information. People need to jot it down and really look at these things, especially when their chronic pain's gotten a lot worse because of COVID-19, because they're not moving around. They're not able to exercise as much, but they really have to take action and take action today. So I appreciate you stopping by. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Neil. It was a pleasure. Take care now. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Celebrity Slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of The Neil Haley Show and Freedom from Addiction, Truth Just Below the Surface on Lipson and all syndicated channels and also on all my platforms. And I'm excited to welcome the program my co-host, Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD. Wynn, how are you? And uh, our topic today is going to be preparing ourselves before a vaccine comes. How can we, with a you know, COVID-19, till that vaccine comes, what measures should we take? Well, it's nice to be on the program with you again today, Neil. And uh, as you know, but some of my listeners might not, uh, this uh, show uh, has my sincerest desire for you to get something from it that will make your life richer, fuller, and in this time of corona pandemic, safer. I'm Reverend Wynn Henderson as an ordained Christian minister and a retired medical doctor. I have a dual perspective to bring you content to solve problems in your life. Freedom from Addiction Share Your Mission is the longest running single hosted and produced spiritually based radio internet talk show in the country. We've been continuously running for over 20 years. And in this program, 
we talk about addiction in its 30 different forms, your mission in life, and as an investigative journalist, truth just below the surface. So today we're going to go back to one of our previous guests, and this is the fourth podcast in a series with him. And uh, that would be Dr. Mark Hayden, MD, uh, from the University of Alabama. And we discussed various things that have to do with COVID-19 previously. Today, in this podcast, we're going to discuss um, surface IgA and what to do prior to a vaccination being ready for the public. Mark, it's nice to have you on the program today. It's uh, wonderful to be here. Okay, so we covered a lot of things in the first three podcasts, and I would invite our listeners to go to the link for that podcast, and that would be www.freedomfromaddiction.libson.com. Spell Libson, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N, all lowercase, no spaces. And that will take you to this particular program. But you can scroll down and hear the first three interviews with Dr. Hayden. So let's get uh, going on on this program, Mark. Um, Would you tell our listeners um about IGA and IgG and what they uh, what they tell you and what they can't tell you and some of the basics sure I'd be glad to well originally we had what was called an antibody test and that appeared relatively early in February That antibody test was initially a blood test, and that's the only test we have in the U.S. for for most of the public is a blood antibody test. The blood antibody test doesn't tell you about the antibodies that are on the surface of your lung air sacs. And that antibody that protects your lungs is called IgA. Unfortunately, people can have IgA that protects their lungs and it won't show up on their blood test. So we don't have a way of telling who's actually immune and who's not immune because most of these people have, a lot of people, millions of them and millions, have uh, mucosal IgA that protects their lungs. And it's not, and that test is not available in the communities. So what do the tests that they might run on you tell you that's important, if anything? If you ask your doctor for, let's say you had a really bad case of COVID and you were hospitalized and you spent a week in the ICU, your body would have so much antibodies that you would actually have bloodstream antibodies about two weeks later in most cases. Now, in some cases, people can be hospitalized with COVID and they still won't have the bloodstream IgG and IgA that appear about two weeks later. So the antibody test that you draw that's available in the U.S. is just not sensitive. It's, it's picking up anywhere from 
10% to maybe 30% of the cases. Okay, uh, Mark, why is surface IgA important? If you look at COVID as a disease, it's really a scenario. And that's a, a strange name to apply to a disease. But the COVID, when you inhale it, it actually grows. It, it actually, the only COVID that bothers you is a, is a, is a SARS COVID virus that reaches your deep lungs. And it sits there in your deep lungs and grows for about a week in your air sacs or two weeks. And it grows from just a few, a few, maybe a dozen or two dozen into literally millions, tens of millions, maybe even billions of viruses. Then later, two, three weeks later, after growing for weeks and weeks, your body recognizes it and has this big autoimmune reaction against your lungs. And that's, that autoimmune reaction produces all the illness. And uh, is that what has been called cytokine storm? Well, you know, they, they, the issue of cytokines was, was raised a lot, and that's not real, real clear about what the cytokine level is. What is clear is that when your immune system recognizes it later, usually because it has reached the intestinal tract and been processed and your body becomes aware of it, if you got billions of viruses there in your lungs, your body kind of freaks out and attacks your own lungs. That's, that means that one of the most effective drugs out there has been dexamethasone, which is an anti-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. So it, it's really a, a lung inflammation caused when your body wakes up to the days and weeks that COVID has grown in your lungs and now there's billions of them. So those are the people who get into trouble. So here's, here's the thought I have is why do we want to know if we're immune or not, if we've had the virus or not, especially when the you know, we can't run away from this right now, Dr. Steven, there's no way of running away from this. And that's exactly whoever, right. Whoever wins the election and their decision process moving forward with COVID-19 uh, I think the therapeutics are more important than a vaccine, in my opinion. And I think that, you know, if it's not death, everyone gets the flu. I mean, we all get the flu. If we get it, if we can get it down to the death rate of, of the flu, then I don't think we should be so alarmed uh, as everything else till we get a vaccine. And is everyone in this country going to take a vaccine? Absolutely not. So it's not going to be effective anyways. That's right. You, you got, you got that right. And the truth is, if we had a mucosal IgA test where you could test the level of IgA on the surface of your nose or on the surface of your mouth, we could actually tell the people who have immunity. That's the mucosal IgA test is really only available at a very few research centers. So that puts us unable to tell how much exposure people have had and who's immune and who's not immune. Now you brought up something very fascinating and that is if the fatality rate is as low as the flu, then why are we so worried about it? And, and actually you're right. Right now, people who work in healthcare environments who have already had a lot of exposure, those people are very likely to have IgA. So a lot of the people now who are wearing heavy 
personal protective equipment in high exposure environments, those people are already immune. And so there's a large number of the population that already have immunity. And the actual case fatality rate, if you included cases where they have mucosal IgA, the fatality rate would probably be about like the flu or lower, especially for those less than uh, 65 or 70 years old. But there's no test to let you know whether or not you have them. There just is. We don't have a clinical test to show who's been exposed. That's 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 pretty much much the the test. And and um, but you can here's what you can look at with confidence. Look at Switzerland. Switzerland had a second wave of cases. And people talk about, hey, guess what? There's a second wave. In Switzerland, second wave of cases. And by cases, they're meaning people that are positive with the PCR in their mouth or the PC or the rapid test. In their cases, the death rate is 95% lower based on the case fatality rate to the uh, number of cases. So their case fatality rate in Sweden had been over 100 at the peak. This second peak in Sweden has the same number of cases per day, hit the same high. But guess what? The case fatality rate ain't over 100. It's just like an average of two or three a day. So it's about 130th. So in Sweden, when it blew through the first time, the actual death rate is now extremely low. And you know, Neil, a lot of the things I've said have kind of been shocking. But I'm going to put this prediction down is that you're going to see less than 20,000 deaths to 20 to 30,000 deaths from COVID by January 1st. The number of cases as people really got tired, Neil, those people are going to be burned out and tired. People are tired wearing their masks. Yeah. The actual number of deaths is going to be very low. And most of those deaths are going to be associated with people that are 80 years old and have other more. So I think that once this election's over, there's nothing political until two more years that everyone will wake up and say, we can't allow this because we're not going to be reelected in two years. So (laughs) at this point right now, everything is set up to make it like, a political reason, this health uh, tragedy, and now they're gonna. Uh, it's gonna be a daily thing for us. We'll probably be wearing masks a lot. We'll probably be practicing social distancing, but more and more it'll be uh, less and less, I guess, followed. Uh, and then they're gonna find out that hey, we we overblow, we were we overblown this, but we yes. won't know until after the election. Uh, once the election has been. Uh, set because politically, if you did not fault Trump, President Trump, on the virus, there's no case for President Trump to lose. So, if anything, if you're an opponent, you're going to bring up the amount of deaths. So, here's a question for you, uh, Dr. Stephen. A more, I'll go a CNN question uh, because again, I'm I'm going to always be non-opinionated at all. I'm just giving you my overall outlook of what's happening 
if you look at specifically enough uh, the death rate in the United States versus the world, why are we still not very good with our death rate? You know, President Trump will deny it, uh, but numbers show that our death rate in the United States is still poor compared to other countries. And it's rising in hospitalizations compared to other countries. I think part of the reason is you have to look at the population. One of the things we try to do in the United States is keep even the sickest of people alive. That means in the US, we do dialysis. We put people in nursing homes. You'll even take people from a nursing home and you'll put them in ICU sometimes when they're almost a, a do not resuscitate. So a lot of the deaths that came about were related, especially in that first wave, to people at the end of their life, which is why the death rate was, uh, the average age of death was 80. So those were very sick people. The other thing that you have to look at is intestinal health is part of your immune system. We have a habit in the U.S. of overeating. Right. And if we overeat, especially in proteins, we are more likely to have a worse outcome. If you look at the White House, for instance, we're just, let's imagine we're all just lay people looking at the White House. The skinny women, the skinny men, all did pretty, pretty well when they got infected. There were, what, 30 cases up there at the White House? Something like Chris that. Chris Christie didn't do so well. So we have to look at digestive health and how we digest our food and process it. And that is one of the big arguments for using Pepsid is that Pepsid would actually help your immune system pass that virus onto your small intestines. And so um, Pepsid is a great idea. And it is something that if, yeah, I mean, Trump used it. And so, I mean, Pepsid is something that, uh, look at vitamin D. Vitamin D works, and but vitamin D is, is also related, your vitamin D levels are related to how healthy your intestines are. So uh, as a country as a whole, I think we tend to overeat as a society, and unfortunately, you know, that's, that's not real good for, uh, for, for people. So, um, Mark, um, you mentioned uh, a minute ago that dexamethasone uh, would be good as an anti-inflammatory. Dexamethasone is a steroid and has been uh, suggested as something that you can use in COVID therapy. But is it necessary for most of the patients? I don't think so, especially if you have other... Yes. And in fact, I see people... I, dexamethasone or decadron was used by Trump what what you'll see in a lot of mild cases where people have the COVID fatigue, I will see people with COVID fatigue that have had an infection. And a lot of times these are younger people that are, they don't need hospitalization. They might be in their mid thirties or forties. And when they use Decadron and, and um, that actually appears to help them on their recovery phase, they'll feel better a lot of times within 24 hours. So, uh, Mark, uh, define uh, fatigue in this uh, in this setup. Uh, does that mean you have COVID but you can't get over it? 
in a way, when your body recognizes that you have COVID in your system, your, if your body recognizes it as an invader, then it wants to get rid of it. And part of your immune response is to try to save energy so that you'll be able to have more energy to fight the infection. So you get real tired often as part of one of the things that can happen is you can test positive for the antigen for days or weeks, and you can't clear all that antigen out of your chest sometimes, and your body will st still think that the infection's going on even if you can't clear it all out, so you'll stay tired. Mark has inoculated himself with live COVID by swallowing it or taking it in a capsule, and he says that the best thing to do is if you're in a family, and one of the members of the family is positive for COVID, that you eat after them and share food or put some of their saliva in a capsule and swallow it while you're taking Pepsid. And this is going to allow the virus to get into your intestine where it can uh, develop an infection and you get immunity. But with the infection, about all you see in terms of what's happening to you is one or two loose stools. Not anything like if you got infected in your chest. And you have immunity at that point. And he has proven this in himself and some patients that he has had. And so the other thing is, what if you don't have a, a family member that's positive? Well, on advice of your physician, you could get some of their saliva and swallow it. But you don't want to swallow saliva from somebody that has another virus like herpes, for example, or has sores in their mouth or is sick somehow. So I'm not recommending that. I'm just telling you that some people have done that and some people have gotten immunity to the SARS in the lungs and they haven't had any symptoms. So, so go back and listen to what Mark has to say in a previous uh, podcast on immunity.